name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to the Bible in a Year, the story podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 187, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, Jeremiah 13 through 15 and Ezekiel 44 and 45. Jeremiah 13. This is what the Lord said to me. Go and buy a linen belt and put it around your waist, but do not let it touch water. So I bought a belt as the Lord directed and put it around my waist. Then the word of the Lord came to me a second time. Take the belt you bought and are wearing around your waist and go now to Parath and hide it there in a crevice in the rocks. So I went and hid it at Parath as the Lord had told me. Many days later, the Lord said to me, Go now to Parath and get the belt I told you to hide there. So I went to Parath and dug up the belt and took it from the place where I had hidden it. But now it was ruined and completely useless. Then the word of the Lord came to me. This is what the Lord says. In the same way I will ruin the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem, these wicked people who refuse to listen to my words, who follow the stubbornness of their hearts and go after other gods to serve and worship them, will be like this belt completely useless. For as a belt is bound around the waist, so I bound all the people of Israel and all the people of Judah to me, declares the Lord, to be my people for my renown and praise and honor. But they have not listened. Say to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, every wineskin should be filled with wine. And if they say to you, don't we know that every wineskin should be filled with wine? Then tell them, this is what the Lord says. I'm going to fill with drunkenness all who live in this land, including the kings who sit on David's throne, the priests, the prophets, and all those living in Jerusalem. I will smash them one against the other. Parents and children alike, declares the Lord. I will allow no pity or mercy or compassion to keep me from destroying them. Hear and pay attention. Do not be arrogant. For the Lord has spoken. Give glory to the Lord your God before he brings the darkness, before your feet stumble on the darkening hills. You hope for light, but he will turn it to utter darkness and change it to deep gloom. If you do not listen, I will weep in secret because of your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly, overflowing with tears because the Lord's flock will be taken captive. Say to the king and to the queen mother, Come down from your thrones, for your glorious crowns will fall from your heads. The cities in the Negev will be shut up, and there will be no one to open them. All Judah will be carried into exile, carried completely away. Look up and see those who are coming from the north. Where is the flock that was entrusted to you, the sheep of which you boasted? What will you say when the Lord sets over you, those who cultivated as your special allies? Will not pain grip you like that of a woman in labor? And if you ask yourself, why has this happened to me? It is because of your many sins, that your skirts have been torn off and your bodies mistreated. Can an Ethiopian change his skin or a leopard its spots? Neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. I will scatter you like chafe driven by the desert wind. This is your lot, the portion I have decreed for you, declares the Lord, because you have forgotten me and trusted in false gods. I will put up your skirts over your face that your shame may be seen, your adulteries and lustful neighing, your shameless prostitution. I have seen your detestable acts on the hills and in the fields. Woe to you, Jerusalem! How long will you be unclean? 
This is the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah concerning the drought. Judah mourns, her cities languish. They wail for the land, and a cry goes up from Jerusalem. The nobles send their servants for water. They go to the cisterns, but find no water. They return with their jars unfilled, dismayed and despairing. They cover their heads. The ground is cracked because there is no rain in the land. The farmers are dismayed and cover their heads. Even the doe in the field deserts her newborn fawn because there is no grass. Wild donkeys stand on the barren heights and pant like jackals. Their eyes fail for lack of food. Although our sins testify against us, do something, Lord, for the sake of your name. For we have often rebelled. We have sinned against you, you who are the hope of Israel, its savior in times of distress. Why are you like a stranger in the land, like a traveler who stays only at night? Why are you like a man taken by surprise, like a warrior, powerless to save? You are among us, Lord, and we bear your name. Do not forsake us. This is what the Lord says about this people. They greatly love to wander. They do not restrain their feet. So the Lord does not accept them. He will now remember their wickedness and punish them for their sins. Then the Lord said to me, Do not pray for the well-being of this people. Although they fast, I will not listen to their cry. Although they offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Instead, I will destroy them with the sword, famine and plague. But I said, Alas, sovereign Lord, the prophets keep telling them, You will see the sword or suffer famine. Indeed, I will give you a lasting peace in this place. Then the Lord said to me, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I have not sent them or appointed them or spoken to them. They are prophesying to your false vision, divinations, idolatries, and the delusions of their own mind. Therefore, this is what the Lord says about the prophets who are prophesying in my name. I did not send them, yet they are saying, No sword or famine will touch this land. Those same prophets will perish by sword and famine. And the people they are prophesying to will be thrown out into the streets of Jerusalem because of the famine and sword. There will be no one to bury them, their wives, their sons, and their daughters. I will pour out on them the calamity they deserve. Speaking this word to them, let my eyes overflow with tears, night and day without ceasing. For the virgin daughter, my people, has suffered a grievous wound, a crushing blow. If I go into this country, I see those slain by the sword. If I go into this city, I see the ravages of famine. Both prophet and priest have gone to a land they know not. Have you rejected Judah completely? Do you despise Zion? Why have you afflicted us so that we cannot be healed? We hope for peace, but no good has come. For a time of healing, but there is only terror. We acknowledge our wickedness, Lord, and the guilt of our ancestors. We have indeed sinned against you. For the sake of your name, do not despise us. Do not dishonor your glorious throne. Remember your covenant with us and do not break it. Do any of the worthless idols of the nations bring rain? Do the skies themselves send down showers? No, it is you, Lord our God. Therefore, our hope is in you, for you are the one who does all this. Then the Lord said to me, Even if Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, my heart would not go out to this people. Send them away from my presence. Let them go. And if they ask you, where shall we go? Tell them, this is what the Lord says. Those destined for death to death. Those for the sword to the sword. Those for starvation to starvation. Those for captivity to captivity. I will send four kinds of destroyers against them, declares the Lord. The sword to kill and the dogs to drag away and the birds and the wild animals to devour and destroy. I will make them abhorrent to all the kingdoms of the earth because of what Manasseh's son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, did in Jerusalem. Who will have pity on you, Jerusalem? Who will mourn for you? Who will stop to ask how you are? 
You have rejected me, declares the Lord. You keep on backsliding. So I will reach out and destroy you. I am tired of holding back. I will winnow them with a winnowing fork at the city gates of the land. I will bring bereavement and destruction on my people, for they have not changed their ways. I will make their widows more numerous than the sands of the sea. At midday, I will bring a destroyer against the mothers of their young men. Suddenly, I will bring down on them anguish and terror. The mother of seven will grow faint and breathe her last. Her sun will set while it is still day. She will be disgraced and humiliated. I will put the survivors to the sword before their enemies, declares the Lord. Alas, my mother that you gave me birth, a man with whom the whole land strives and contends. I have neither lent nor borrowed, yet everyone curses me. The Lord said, Surely I will deliver you for a good purpose. Surely I will make your enemies plead with you in times of disaster and times of distress. Can a man break iron, iron from the north, or bronze? Your wealth and your treasures, I will give a plunder without charge because of all your sins throughout your country. I will enslave you to your enemies in a land you do not know, for my anger will kindle in a fire that will burn against you. Lord, you understand. Remember me and care for me. Avenge me on my persecutors. You are long-suffering. Do not take me away. Think of how I suffer reproach for your sake. When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart delights, for I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. I never sat in the company of revelers, never made merry with them. I sat alone because your hand was on me, and you have filled me with indignation. Why is my pain unending, and my wound grievous and incurable? You are to me like a deceptive brook, like a spring that fails. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. If you will repent, I will restore you, that you may serve me. If you utter worthy, not worthless words, you will be my spokesman. Let this people turn to you, but you must not turn to them. I will make you a wall to this people, a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you to rescue and save you, declares the Lord. I will save you from the hands of the wicked and deliver you from the grasp of the cruel. Ezekiel 44. Then the man brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary, the one facing east, and it was shut. The Lord said to me, this is the gate, it's to remain shut. It must not be opened. No one may enter through it. It is to remain shut because the Lord, the God of Israel, has entered through it. The prince himself is the only one who may sit inside the gate to eat in the presence of the Lord. He is to enter by way of the portico of the gateway and go out the same way. Then the man brought me by way of north gate to the front of the temple. I looked and saw the glory of the Lord filling the temple of the Lord, and I fell face down. The Lord said to me, Son of man, look carefully, listen closely, and give attention to everything I tell you concerning all the regulations and instructions regarding the temple of the Lord. Give attention to the entrance to the temple and all the exits of the sanctuary. Say to the rebellious Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says, enough of your detestable practices, people of Israel. In addition to all your other detestable practices, you brought foreigners, uncircumcised in heart and flesh into my sanctuary, desecrating my temple while you offered me food, fat, and blood, and you broke my covenant. Instead of carrying out your duty in regard to my holy things, you put others in charge of my sanctuary. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. No foreigner uncircumcised in heart and flesh is to enter my sanctuary, not even the foreigners who live among the Israelites. The Levites who went far from me when Israel went astray and who wandered from me after their idols must bear the consequences of their sin. They may serve my they may serve in my sanctuary, having charge of the gates of the temple and serving in it. 
they may slaughter the burnt offerings and sacrifices for the people and stand before the people and serve them. But because they served them in the presence of their idols and made the people of Israel fall into sin, therefore I have sworn with uplifted hand that they must bear the consequences of their sin, declares the sovereign Lord. They are not to come near to serve me as priests or come near any of my holy things or my most holy offerings. They must bear the shame of their detestable practices, and I will appoint them to guard the temple from all the work that is to be done. But the Levitical priests who are descendants of Zadok and who guarded my sanctuary when the Israelites went astray from me are to come near to minister before me. They are to stand before me to offer sacrifices of fat and blood, declares the Sovereign Lord. They are alone to enter my sanctuary. They alone are to come near my table to minister before me and serve me as guards. When they enter the gates of the inner court, they are to wear linen clothes. They must not wear any woolen garments while ministering at the gates of the inner court or inside the temple. They are to wear linen turbans on their heads and linen undergarments around their waists. They must not wear anything that makes them perspire. When they go out into the outer court where the people are, they are to take off the clothes they have been ministering in and are to leave them in the sacred rooms and put on other clothes so that the people are not consecrated through contact with their garments. They must not shave their heads or let their hair grow long, but they are to keep the hair of their heads trimmed. No priest is to drink wine when he enters the inner court. They must not marry widows or divorce women. They may marry only virgins of Israelite descendants or widows of priests. They are to teach my people the difference between the holy and the common and show them how to distinguish between the unclean and the clean. In any dispute, the priests are to serve as judges and decide it according to my ordinances. They are to keep my laws and my decrees for all my appointed festivals, and they are to keep my Sabbaths holy. A priest must not defile himself by going near a dead person. However, if the dead person was his father or mother, son or daughter, brother or unmarried sister, then he may defile himself. After he is cleansed, he must wait seven days. On the day he goes into the inner court of the sanctuary to minister in the sanctuary, he is to offer a sin offering for himself, declares the sovereign Lord. I am to be the only inheritance the priests have. You are to give them no possession in Israel. I will be their possession. They will eat the grain offerings, the sin offerings, and the guilt offerings, and everything in Israel devoted to the Lord will belong to them. The best of all the first fruits and of all your special gifts will belong to the priests. You are to give them the first portion of your ground meal so that of the blessing may rest on your household. The priest must not eat anything, whether bird or animal, found dead or torn by animals. When you allot the land as an inheritance, you are to present the Lord a portion of the land as a sacred district, 25,000 cubits long and 20,000 cubits wide. The entire area will be holy. Of this, a section of 500 cubits square is to be for the sanctuary, with 50 cubits around it for open land, and the sacred district measuring off a section 25,000 cubits long and 10,000 cubits wide. In it will be the sanctuary, the most holy place. It will be the sacred portion of the land for the priests who minister in the sanctuary and who draw near to the minister before the Lord. It will be a place for their houses, as well as the holy place for the sanctuary. An area 25,000 cubits long and 10,000 cubits wide will belong to the Levites, who serve in the temple as their possession for towns to live in. You are to give the city as its property an area 5,000 cubits wide and 25,000 cubits long, adjoining the sacred portion. 
it will belong to all Israel. The prince will have the land bordering each side of the area formed by the sacred district and the property of the city. It will extend westward from the west side and east side from the east side, running lengthwise from the western to the eastern border parallel to one of the tribal portions. This land will be his possession in Israel, and my prince will no longer oppress my people, but will allow the people of Israel to possess the land according to their tribes. This is what the sovereign Lord says. You have gone far enough. Princes of Israel, give up your violence and oppression and do what is just and right. Stop dispossessing my people, declares the sovereign Lord. You are to use accurate scales and accurate ephah and an accurate bath. The ephah and the bath are to be the same size, the bath containing a tenth of a homer and the ephah a tenth of the homer. The homer is to be the standard measure for both. The shekel to consist of 20 geras, 20 shekels plus 25 shekels plus 25 shekels equals one minah. This is the special gift you are to offer, a sixth of an ephah from each homer of wheat and a sixth of an ephah from each homer of barley. The prescribed portion of olive oil measured by the bath is a tenth of a bath from each core, which consists of 10 baths or one homer, for 10 baths or equivalent to a homer. Also, one sheep is to be taken from every flock of 200 from the well-watered pastures of Israel. There will be used for the grain offering, burnt offerings, and a fellowship offering to make atonement for the people, declares the sovereign Lord. All the people of the land will be required to give this special offering to the prince in Israel. It will be the duty of the prince to provide the burnt offerings, grain offerings, and drink offerings at the festival, the new moons and the Sabbaths at all the appointed festivals of Israel. He will provide the sin offerings, grain offerings, burnt offerings, and fellowship offerings to make an atonement for the Israelites." This is what the Sovereign Lord says. In the first month, on the first day, you are to take a young bull without defect and purify the sanctuary. The priest is to take some of the blood of the sin offering and put it on the doorpost of the temple, on the four corners of the upper ledge of the altar and the gateposts of the inner court. You are to do the same on the seventh day of the month, and if anyone who sins unintentionally or through ignorance, so you are to make atonement for the temple." In the first month on the 14th day, you are to observe the Passover, a festival lasting seven days, during which you shall eat bread made without yeast. On that day, the prince is to provide a bull as a sin offering for himself and for all the people of the land. Every day during the seven days of the festival, he is to provide seven bulls and seven rams without defect as a burnt offering to the Lord and a male goat for a sin offering. He is to provide as a grain offering an ephah for each bull and an ephah for each ram, along with a hint of olive oil for each ephah. During the seventh day of the festival, which begins in the seventh month on the fifth day, he is to make the same provision for sin offerings, burnt offerings, grain offerings, and oil. In Jeremiah 13, Father Mike Schmitz addresses the underwear in the room. (laughs) I don't know how else to say it. Remember the image painted by the linen waistcloth? Go buy new underwear, wear it, and hide it in the cleft of the rocks at the Euphrates. Then let it rot and go back and find it. That's how Father Mike Schmitz describes it. This is how Jeremiah is describing Israel. This is quite graphic. And as Father Mike Schmitz said, maybe we read it like a fourth grader with silliness, but it is visual and we get it even thousands of years later. Biblical scholar Matthew Patton describes these as sign acts, which are special actions performed to illustrate their message. Chapter 13, verses 18 through 27, conveys the language of God at needing to judge his relentlessly proud and adulterous people. But there's also this sense of anguish God feels at having to do it. 
This part of the story also reminds us in verses 22 and 23 that we can be perplexed like they were regarding why there are consequences or why they're being punished because of their dislocated hearts and moral defection. We see it. But the real scary part is that they didn't see it, and sometimes we don't see it. And this passage is saying the issue is pride, which is described as the thing that blinds them, that blinds us from seeing our own dislocation and defection, our own sin. I think of Anakin becoming Darth Vader in Star Wars. At some point, we justify the oppressiveness and dislocation. In his case, he his inability to save his wife and control outcomes, this hurt became anger and started cycles of violence. And he, as well as the southern kingdom of Judah, and maybe even us sometimes, we can't see our dislocated and defective hearts as wrong. So how can we repent? Because we've somehow justified it. How can we call out for rescue and rejoin God's rescue mission and story of restoration and redemption if we just don't even see it? We need intervention. We need Jesus. Patton describes the southern kingdom of Judah as unmoved by her sin, but Yahweh is not. The consequences of their actions are coming. The story gets even harder as Jeremiah learns that the people, the place meant to put his name on display, which utterly abuse this role and blessing, they will be plucked up and taken into exile and the place torn down. From chapter 14 through chapter 20, Patton describes how Jeremiah will try to remain a prophet. And as Father Mike Schmitz describes, Yahweh is calling the people back while there is still time. And before we think of others falling away, Father Mike Schmitz reminded me to look inward, and that's my call to you. Where and how do I, do you, need to come back to the Lord and give over the things in our lives that we haven't given over to Him yet, surrendering our hearts now and forever? Because, as we read, Patton describes the end of chapter 20 as the place where Jeremiah will renounce Yahweh and his prophetic office. Will it end somewhat unresolved in detail? Yes. But we know Jeremiah steps back in with a focus on resurrection and reawakening after chapter 20. But it's really interesting to just pause and think even for this absolutely amazing prophet, how much struggle he went through in this process. We begin to read the turmoil going on inside of him, the faith, the fear, the despair, The degeneration of the prophet coincides with the sealing of the southern kingdom of Judah's fate. It is irreversible at this point. In chapter 14 and 15, Patton describes Jeremiah's failure to be an intercessor. He doesn't stand in the gap to pray to God on behalf of the people who are sinning grievously and God is telling him the consequences are coming. Once the drought was there, then he led the people in prayer of repentance. But it's too late then. No more intercession, Yahweh saying, no more. There will be consequences. Patton describes how Jeremiah seems to have treated, in air quotes, peace prophets as genuine prophets. And this lack of leadership and the false prophets who are saying what people want to hear, it led to fruitlessness, drift, and defection. It's one thing to have soft edges when you deliver hard messages, and quite another to not have and give the strong convictions that God is calling you to to present. 
I love our president, Dr. Barry Corey's book on kindness that ensures that kindness is not incompatible with courage and that charitable communication does not exclude clear convictions. Kindness is different from niceness. Niceness only cares about the perceptions of our feelings or someone else's. It doesn't have an anchor or take truth into consideration. Whereas kindness can be shared and given with thoughtful words and a tone that offers connection and a way forward without giving up the real real, the story of God, the truth. Remember, Jeremiah is the weeping prophet, and we see that here clearly. There is a heart of lament and an action out of lament, speaking the truth out of a broken heart and their struggle in it. Where are we called? Where do we feel the brokenness of the world? In this place where we want to weep, we can respond out of our broken heart. We can do, as Marty Solomon describes, the priesthood as helping ourselves and others navigate to Jesus for atonement, Shema, that full, all-in obedience, to put God on display, to pray and stand in the gap for others, not after the fact, but in the fire, and to be prodigally generous. As Father Mike Schmitz, we need to speak and love in God's spirit, not our own. What's becoming clearer is the people have no interest in coming back. And in chapter 15, we read it. Yahweh says, let them go. Matthew Patton describes this as the reverse exodus in Jeremiah. The people are not going from exile to the promised land, but from the promised land into exile. It's kind of like reading the Genesis 2 story and then the Genesis 3 story, where Adam and Eve are cast out of the Garden of Eden. We also read in chapter 15 this tension between Jeremiah and Yahweh. Jeremiah is upset that his delayed intercession didn't work and wonders if redemption, healing from this wound of exile, will ever be possible, and if Yahweh deceived him. Instead of responding to that accusation, Yahweh launches his own confrontation. If Jeremiah repents, Yahweh promises to reinstate him as prophet with the same promise of invincibility Patton describes. But God is offering no compromise. Jeremiah is not to defect to the people, but lead the people back to him. Patton makes the connection from Jeremiah's situation to Jesus's in Matthew 26, verse 39, where Jesus asks for the cup to pass from him because this type of leadership is a very hard road. Patton makes some very interesting connections between Jeremiah's story and Jesus's. He describes Jeremiah as the last great prophet before Jesus, who's the last prophet and who will suffer for his people. Pray for me, I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.